Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 135 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers Now. Momentarily, we're going to head off uh, and join our uh, next guest on the show. He was the Oilers' first-round pick in the 1982 draft, 20th overall, the brother of one of the toughest players in NHL history, the father of a prominent actor that many of you know, uh, his uh, son Dylan Playfair, known for his role as Riley in Letter Kenny. And uh, for those of you that are hardcore Edmonton Oilers fans, you know that Jim Playfair headed up, uh, he's the Oilers associate coach, was part of a, a special teams group uh, specifically targeted on penalty killing that uh, when we went to La Paz was second in the NHL, a dramatic improvement. So we welcome back to the show, Jim Playfair. Hello, Jim. How you doing? Good. Thanks, Bob. How are you? Good. Uh, long time no talk. First question, because I used to work up in that region in the springs. Are you up in, uh, where are you at these days? Are you up in, have you spent most of your time in Fort St. James, or where have you been? I had been up there uh, the majority of the summer, and actually when I'm back in Edmonton for a day or two here, get some stuff organized before we get ready for camp. There you go. Are you are you excited? Like this has been an experience. I mean, is there any way you could possibly wrap your head around what's occurred here over the last three months? Well, I think the unique thing is that it's affected the entire world. It's not just uh, one specific area of 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 any any one particular part of the country. It's the entire world. So, so I think that's what's unique about it, Bob. In the sense that I mean, we're all affected by it. It's it's unprecedented. And it's. Uh, no fun at all, but yeah. um, I, I think that we're probably all doing the best we can to get through it, so that's, I guess, all we can hope for. Yeah, and everybody's sort of in the same position there. Uh, you guys came in here, and I look, uh, full disclosure, I, I vote for the coach of the year. I've got Dave in my top three. Um, you know, you got the number one ranked power play, the number two ranked penalty killing unit. The team was clearly in a playoff position, second in the uh, Pacific Division. Uh, from your perspective, assess for me sort of how you think things went through the first 70 games of the season for the Oilers. 
Well, I think we made some personnel changes and that, that, that really, really helped us. And I think that's in, in, uh, in all parts of our game. I think that and Kenny Holland in and Dave, you know, with his experience and their probably their clarity and calmness and in, in, in going about making the changes was was as important as anything that happened. But um, uh, you know, I think one of Tip's Tippett's strengths is he he gets everybody to feel like their role is really important. That, uh, that the team is is first and foremost, and I think all players like that want to buy into that i know the training staffs enjoy it and like to buy into it and i think it took a while for players to actually recognize it that truly is dave's demeanor and his nature so um the coaching staff gets along well we we really share ideas and not only one or two you know parts of the game special teams five on five um practice planning game planning it really is an inclusive group. And I think when people recognize that and they see that, it, it just really helps with the buy-in. And then so you get some players that have high expectations of where they want the group to be. And uh, I think led by Connor and Leon and Clef and Darnell and, and those guys really recognize that now is the window for us to put our best foot forward. And I think you've seen the young guys come along and they were as equally as accepted and, and respected as anybody else in the group. So I would say that a collection of the consistent responsibility that everybody feels has probably allowed for us to have, you know, the start of some some success. We're joined by Jim Playfair. He's the Oilers associate coach. Bob Stoffer with you in Oilers now. Jim, the Oilers penalty killing for the five previous seasons over the during that time period was the worst in the National Hockey League. Uh, one year, Edmonton was below 65% at home on the PK. In your wildest dreams, did you envision a situation where you were second in the NHL at penalty killing 70 games in a season? Did you see that there were areas that you could tweak? How much of it was system-related? How much of it was related to some of the guys that Ken brought in? What, what what did you you know what have you seen there and are you surprised at the level of success that you had? Well, first of all, I think it, it it's about the players. Obviously, it's about their commitment to collectively buy into a system and then and then develop trust amongst themselves. And they did that real early. I think that comes from you know the personnel we put on the ice. So both goaltenders really took on a responsibility of, of wanting to lead in that area. I think Dustin Schwartz helping the goaltenders get prepared um, was excellent in, in having them dialed into the playoff, to the sort of the penalty kill. And so by the time the goaltenders seen the penalty kill details in front of the group, they'd already seen them once with Dustin. So that when you have that that type of group commitment, it, 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 it just allows you to have a better chance of success. I think that you know, all all defensemen uh, played a part in the penalty kill. I think they all take responsibility in it. And then our group of forwards, whether it's Nuge or, you know, Leon. One thing that did surprise me, I did not realize Leon Dreisaitl would be as good as he is in the 5-1-3. I mean, you know Nuge has got that mindset. You know that he's got a, a, a outstanding awareness of, of how to defend. But uh, I thought Leon did a real good job in growing, in the, specifically in the 5-1-3. But overall, when you look at the pairings and the, and the players we brought in, 
uh, you know, you always want to shoot for number one. You know, in August, when you write down your game plan, it's used to be first in the NHL and all special teams and defense and offense and all that type of stuff. So that, that that's your goal. But uh, ultimately, when you look at it, I just really think Stoffel goes back to probably a consistent group belief that they expected to kill penalties. And when you can get that in your group, um, it, it, it's 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 an important part of your group's confidence to stay to be aggressive and then to stay aggressive. All right. So you, you've credited the players. Was there something that is specific to the way that you and Dave Tippett uh, philosophically approach penalty killing from a tactical perspective that changed dramatically to help this along as well? Yeah. Well, we you know we went back and you know when Dave had the world uh, world uh, the World Cup team, he, he he ran the penalty kill and they never had a goal scored against them. Glenn Gullickson's had outstanding success as a coach um, in the penalty kill in Vancouver. And then when I come in, again we just collectively through Dustin and Glenn and and and, and Tip and I, we kind of had a thought process of where can we be aggressive. And then where can we be predictable for ourselves? And and again, it goes back to the players recognizing that they they had a lot of input in it, and, and they 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 came to us with ideas, and we went to them with ideas. And I think collectively, again, there was a trust factor that this was the framework we wanted to apply. But if they felt there was a better way to do it, or they felt they could be more aggressive, or they they had to back off, um, it, that was worked into the game plan. So I think that, that yeah, I don't know if there's one particular thing. I think we. Obviously, you don't want shots to come from the middle of the ice at the blue line. You don't want to have cross-seam passes, you know, through the hash marks. You don't have any easy tap-ins in the back door. So those would be our three fundamental core directives with the players. But again, they would come back to the bench and they'd say, "Hey, I got to change. I got to do this, or I got to do that," because they recognized and understood how it was going to work better for the group. And, I, and I, again, it, it uh, did we change anything? Maybe we tried to get them to buy in more ownership and be more aggressive on it. But, again, you know, I, I thought that Archie was excellent, Nuge, Riley, um, JJ, you know, anybody else that fit into that role, they, they did it real well. And, again, you look at Chris Russell blocking shots. Ethan Barrier watches that, and he learns to block shots. And Lars decides that that's, that's the way he's built the play he starts blocking and it becomes contagious around the group so I, I would say collectively the staff you know had a part of it but obviously the, the, the players and their collective aggressiveness I would say would be you know the biggest reason when you came aboard Jim did you first see both Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones making the contributions they made during the course of the season no but I think that that's what makes that's what brings juice out in the group is having those kids come in. Uh, obviously, Ethan was, was tossed in due to the injury to Lars, but he took it upon himself to never come back out of the lineup. And you forget that he's been two years honing his craft to, to, to be prepared for that opportunity. So the thing that I probably didn't realize about Ethan, because the knock against him was perhaps a bit of his, his summer habits and summer conditioning, was the amount of minutes he could eat up and still be an effective player for us. So I think we all knew he had the skill and the mind to play, um, and then the ability that he gravitated towards the amount of minutes he could handle, the amount of pressure he could play under. His ability to execute while tired was was a due to was was strictly due to his to his new training habits. And and then with you know with Jonesy, he came in as a kid that, that you know what you can see the talent, you can see his he's got jump, he's got bounce, he's got urgency. Uh, I, I think our biggest thing with him was to get him to understand when he makes a mistake, don't follow it and chase it. Just if it's a mistake, let it go. 
and keep your structuring in, in order and, and you'll you know you'll you'll move past those mistakes i think he's a caring kid obviously and he makes a mistake he wants to go chase it down and it leads to more so we try to pull him back a little bit and and just let him play with confidence i thought honestly that our group um really supported those kids well the center icemen were excellent to help those kids calm them down i thought the defense pairings really saw that those both those young players could help us or, and were helping us and they really reached out to make sure that they were well taken care of and well prepared and, and I thought our group collectively helped those kids a lot. Jim Playfair, Oilers associate coach, uh, heads up the defense and the penalty killing. Bob Stoffer with you in Oilers now. So Jim, it's the Calgary or the Chicago Blackhawks uh, assuming we get back up and playing and we're all hoping for that you got to be comfortable with the depth that you have on defense. Mike Green's going to be healthy. You got Chris Russell. Uh, as we closed out before the pause, Adam Larson was playing his best hockey of the season. We've talked about the emergence of both Bear and Jones. This now is a pretty deep defense right now. You got some options there, don't you? Yeah, and I think you know you never become a good team until you have internal competition where guys are going to start pushing each other and, and, and expecting to play. And I think now we've slowly started to create that where you know guys at some point in time over the course of the seasons the young kids recognize that they're not going to be players uh for whatever reason and now i think our you know the eight ten players with that we're going to be able to get together with here soon they all expect to be a part of this thing and i I, uh, that's the only way we're going to grow as a group that's the only way we're going to become a consistent team and that's really the only way we're going to win um in big games is to have the internal competition so i I think that's that's being created now and and we're all looking forward to seeing what camp looks like this might sound like a stupid question and i've asked more than my fair share of them jim over the years (laughs) you you have three sons they're roughly the age of the players uh you know and and there's some hockey playing experience with uh at least well one or two of them but anyhow i digress do you think that helped make you a better coach and more understanding of today's player by being a father of boys that are at the same age? 100%, for sure. I think once I, had, once I started having children, uh, and they turn out to be boys, that your whole awareness of, of, of how you parent ties into your, your, your style of play. I think the one thing that's helped me is I'll be talking to the our boys about something, and I'll be like, oh, my God, I, I, went, to say, I went to explain this, and... And this is what they thought, and the kids were like, "Well, that's because for this reason." You know, they were very good at what helped me communicate um, messages and points across. You know, over the course of the years, just based on being the same age. And even now, um, a couple of our my, my our boys have, have met some of our players, so now they kind of have more of a interaction. And the one that, that that's on TV, the guys watch them, so they laugh about that and we have some communication about his line of work and so it, it opens up the you know the, it closes the gap maybe and opens up more communication just on the fact they know that we i have kids that are, that are the same age as them yeah you we mentioned uh dylan playfair in letter kenny i you know jim i'll be honest with you if it's not uh college and nfl football in the fall or <laughs> I, I it's not necessary in my wheelhouse but for a lot of our less uh listeners right now uh dylan's the biggest uh starring playfair i'm gonna go down a different path uh you knew this was coming uh I, you know your older brother for the listeners that don't know larry playfair in the late 70s early 80s particularly was considered 
one of the toughest players in the National Hockey League. I remember he almost killed Terry O'Reilly, and Terry O'Reilly was one tough dude, and he absolutely tossed him around uh, once during the Buffalo-Boston days. What was it like to sort of grow up as a shadow to having an older brother who is the biggest, nastiest, you know, one on the block in the National Hockey League. When, like, he was, and Don Sherry would sit there and be screaming when he was doing color, stay away from that play fair. They got to watch. I mean, Larry really was like one of the top two or three guys in the league, wasn't he? Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing about Larry was he was nine years, uh, sorry, I was nine years old and he was 15 when he left home. So I was, you know, six years younger than Larry. And so, I followed his career like a young fan would follow, you know, somebody's career. And obviously, uh, there were seven in our family, six boys and a girl. So as Larry moved along the ranks and got moved along, he got hooked up with Portland. And then I got put on Portland's list. So I kind of followed Larry through the Portland uh, Winter Hawks system in the Western Hockey League. And uh, we were different players. We were the same players we played minor hockey. And then it kind of shifted into the junior. I... I I wasn't as tough as Larry, and I didn't have that. And, the, and you know, the game hadn't changed a ton, but it changed a little bit. And then Larry got drafted in Buffalo, and and, and he went on to carve out his his twelve year career in the National Hockey League. And so it's funny because you know he there's always going to be that comparison. I think uh, when I was drafted, I think Slots thought there'd be a lot more of my fighting like Larry fought, and and, and I understand that now as I get older and I look back on it. Um, but we were different players, and you know the funny thing, thing is that, that uh, I was a part of three championships: uh, one of the Memorial Cup, and then a Calder Cup, and a, and a Turner Cup. And Larry was at each and every one of those events. Some way, somehow, he found a way. Whether his season was over, he was able to come around and celebrate those things. And I think that as much as I enjoyed watching Larry play his 12 years in the NHL, and it wasn't like there was six, seven games on a night. It was the weekends that we watched Saturday Night Hockey, right. and, and you know there wasn't like he'd just jump on you know, your, your, your phone and watch all of his fights and games and goals and all that type of stuff. So there, there was there was only the, the the weekly phone conversations about different situations. But when his career was all over, we took our families to Florida and we sat down on a couple nights and I said, okay, tell me about some of these shenanigans and some of these fights and stuff. We sat there and one time in our entire life, we sat till 3 o'clock in the morning and he said, okay, fire away. So I asked him any question I wanted about any type of fighting he did, whoever he fought or didn't fight, when he got beat up, when he, you know, when he got the upper hand on somebody. And we put it to bed. We never talked about it. We never talked about it during the season when we fought. We've never wow. talked about it since. He's just a real quiet guy. There's a nice guy. He's a, a lot like Dave Semenko. He's a, he did his job. He's an outstanding human being and a real quiet gentleman. And uh, so that was our one night. And even even my kids now, they'll say, Hey, I want to ask Uncle Larry about this. I'm like, uh, fill your boots. Go ahead, but he ain't going to tell you nothing. And that's just how he's wired. He did his job. He moved past it. And, and uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, but back to your point, stuff. He, 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 I remember I was playing an exhibition game one time against Buffalo, and and Semenka and, and Larry got into a fight, and I was standing on the bench. I was on the ice, and they were fighting in front of the bench, and I, I had my arm on the bench, and Glenn Anderson says, who are you cheering for <laughs> during the fight? And I'm like, oh, boy. So that was the only time I <laughs> was ever that close with him. But, yeah, you know, back to your point, he, he, he had a job to do, and he, and he did it very well.
And he ended up coaching, uh, development coaching, youth coaching in Buffalo for a number of years. Uh, something about those Fort St. James guys in Buffalo. Spinner, <laughs> Spinner Spencer was up there, too. And as you know, I spent a lot of years, uh, 90 and then 94 to 98 up near, uh, Prince George and Williams Lake and Quinnell and, uh, Fort St. James and Fort St. John. So, uh, Bear Lake and Vanderhoof and all those, all those fun places. Awesome times. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Jim, and I look forward to uh, seeing you down the road, okay? Appreciate it, Stoff. Talk to you soon. You bet. That is Jim Playfair, the Oilers associate coach. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Larry Playfair was pretty much considered kind of like George LaRock. The heavy, like Dave Semenko, Larry Playfair, those are sort of the two toughest guys. Ben Wilson would have been up there from the Flyers. Um, uh, I think Wensick one time caught uh, Larry with his head down and knocked him out, but with a not with a punch, with an actual hit and a play back behind the goalie. Used the ref as a bit of a screen on the play, but Larry Playfair, I mean, absolutely destroyed guys. Um, Kostopoulos was with the Leafs. I remember he in, did a number on Chris uh, Nyland for the Canadians. I mean, and he was. Big. Jim was a more skilled player, could move the puck a bit. He could fight too, but was certainly a much more skilled player. Let's do this. Let's tell you the best pizza in the city. Royal Pizza is still making a great Edmonton owned and operated for more than 50 years. And now Royal Pizza offering curbside pickup and takeout options for a menu and a list of their 13 Edmonton and area locations. Go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. Brendan Escott's back in the 630 Chad Studios. What uh, do we have uh, on this day in Oilers history? Back in 1993, the Oilers trade 1990 Cup winner Peter Klima to the Tampa Bay Lightning Exchange for, at the time, future considerations. It turned into Tampa's third rounder in the 94 draft. That pick, I had been to use to select a, a guy by the name of Brad Symes, Bob, who never played an yeah. NHL game, but boy, could this guy chuck him as a member of the Portland Winterhawks. If you can, follow, uh, you can go YouTube some of his stuff. That's how I stumbled oh, yeah, upon he was He was a battler, <laughs> no question about that. Um... All right, uh, Inside Sports tonight with uh, the guest host Dave Campbell. Fluid show, or what's he got shaking? No, you're going to hear from Eskimos long snapper and, uh, importantly, CFL Players Association executive board member Ryan King. Okay, uh, tomorrow, Brian Lott. Well, Brian Hello. Lott. Hello, that's a hot one. Uh, tomorrow, Brian Lott from the NHL Network. Dave Staples from the Cult of Hockey. Today, J- Jason Botterill was fired by the Buffalo Sabres as GM. Uh, we'll hear from Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. Up next, the Glo- Global News Weather Traffic Update with Eileen Bell, followed by a simulcast of the Rob Breckenridge Show out of CHQR 770 in Calgary. Have a terrific Tuesday, everybody. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.